This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, good morning, and ain't it a great morning outside? Really, really hot, really humid, no rain in sight, but that's okay, folks. We're going to talk about gardening anyway. I'm Horticulture Felder Rushing, and me and my awesome producer, Donna Chapman, and all the other folks at Mississippi Public Broadcasting, we're opening up this screen door. Nope, no air conditioning, just a screen door to take your calls and chat with you about whatever's going on in your mind and your garden this middle of July, excuse me, middle of August, hot weekend. It's a live program, folks, here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. So if there's some things you'd like to chat about or run by somebody or just express or view things, as long as you keep it nice so Mama doesn't get upset, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to try to slow it down a little bit right now because it is too hot to move fast. Java, how you getting by, man, in all this heat and humidity? How you doing? Man, I'm doing fine. We're, we're getting by. The kids are back in school, so that's a little bit of a, I guess, an easement um, for us parents out here. But, yeah, we're, we're making a way. Now, I know you said in the intro about uh, rain. It, it rains almost every day um, out here, Felder. Well, well, you know, I was just looking at the news. It said not much chance today, and I'm thinking every day. You know, one of the hallmarks of, of you might be a – hardcore gardener is if, if it rains that means you just don't have to water today yeah <laughs> i've been thinking about that you, you have you don't have to put the water out it's, it's coming down from the sky <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad it's raining uh, uh you know a good bit you know not so much for farmers of course they like a good soaking rain every night every saturday night about two in the morning and then that's it but you know, when I'm gone for weeks on end, nobody comes over and waters my plants. And so I've had to choose over the years, over the decades, a lot of my plants have been thinned out and I had to decide whether to replant them, uh, knowing they're not going to get watered, or just find something else. And I just found a bunch of other stuff. So anyway, I'm always curious after getting back from being gone a couple of months to see what's still kicking. And most of it will be, including the weeds, because they never seem to slow down. So um, anyway, uh, it, it's, it's kind of hot in England right now. It's up to 85 degrees, which doesn't sound like much to us, but they don't have air conditioning. they got little windows that are made to be closed because it's cold. Usually it gets cold, you know, it gets up in the 60s or so and cools down to the 50s at night, even in the summer. So, you know, even a fan can't really move much air if you got little windows and no air conditioning. But I'm not complaining. I've looked at quite a few gardens, went last week to uh, to northern Wales, which is sort of stuck on the side of England like the Delta, I guess, and went to a really nice botanic garden there called Bodnet Gardens and uh, saw a lot of really, really cool plants that we grow in Mississippi but used in unusual ways. And that's what I'm always looking for, especially our wildflowers, the goldenrod and the stoxia and the coreopsis and purple coneflowers and all those things that we sort of plant a few here and there, but they use masses of them. And it's just it's stunning because those plants – they take the weather. So anyway, I'm always interested to see how, how Europeans use our weeds as their regular garden plants. So, you know, it's just one of those oddball things I do, Java. And it's funny that you said that about the air conditioning, Felder, because I think, what, maybe a month ago when it was the hottest day on record um, over overseas in, in Europe, um, people were going to work. 
<laughs> because that is where the air condition was instead of yeah. staying at home. I found that funny. Yeah, it, it, as a matter of fact, it's kind of weird because the stores that have air conditioning, because a lot of places, you know, pubs and things like that, they're not air conditioned. A lot of restaurants aren't. You know, they have air conditioning, they usually close their doors, which is a social signal to British that the store ain't open. <laughs> you know, if your door is closed, it's because you're not open today. So, you know, it's just one of those oddball things. But anyway, always getting by. You know, there's a nice little cool breeze, and I've been going on quite a few walks, long walks. Uh, uh, including along the, the seashore, uh, which is a lot of people are surprised that northern England and Wales has got mountains that go straight down into the water and nice and cool there. But anyway, we're going to be talking about gardening in Mississippi, and I'm hoping folks on this hot August day feel like calling and chatting about it because mm, that's what we do here. That's what we do. So, uh, by the way, I, I got an, an email uh, job I want to share from a listener from, I'm going to say, extre- you can't get any more southeast Texas than Orange, Texas. Orange, Texas, as soon as you cross that last bio from Louisiana into Texas, boom, Orange is right there, first place you come to. But they got the coolest little botanical garden. It's a small place. It's called Shangri-La, Shangri-La Botanic Garden. It's small. It's tasty. It's just minutes off. It's easy to get to off the interstate. And they have a an alley, which is like a double hedgerow of trees made entirely out of bottle trees made by Stephanie Dwyer when she was up uh, right after she left Mississippi. A huge we're talking about 15, 18 foot tall bottle trees, a, a double row of them you walk down in between. It's stunning. But anyway, I got this. Uh, we have a listener down there named Mike Lehman. And he said his gardening skills aren't that great, um, but doesn't stop him from having fun. Here's what he said He's been, He said, It's been a long, hot, dry summer in my little corner of Texas. Recently, we started getting a little rain, enough to put a smile on my face. And while I stood staring at the water in my rain gauge, it inspired me to write a little quick rain gauge haiku, and he thought he'd share it. So you ready for this three-line poetry, Java? Let's do it. He said, and the haiku is your three-line, the clouds sigh and weep, their damp burdens weigh heavy, and the earth smiles. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's nice when you got a guy going out just looking at a rain gauge and thinking about poetry. If that's not gardening the South, I don't know what is. Because like you say, so, he's not that good, or he doesn't think he's that good, but he likes to have the fun. So, I mean, hey. And that's the, that's the point of gardening, you know. Uh, I keep saying all the time, horticulture is about filling the freezer and getting yard of the month and winning a blue ribbon at the fair and, you know, having the best cut flowers. That's horticulture. Gardening is just sitting back and savoring what's going on every day, every time you're out there. You know, if nothing else, admire how the dragonflies sound like crumpled cellophane when they go by. You know, so, you know gardening is more about savoring. It's about the, the trip, the journey, rather than destination. So anyway, I'm hoping folks give us a call and chat about it because I know it's a challenge. I know it's a real challenge right now in this uh, heat um, and humidity, whether or not it rains, it's not fun being out there. But we do have good plants that like this weather, that do well, and there's proof of them all around. So if you're having difficulty with your garden, give us a call. Let's talk about it. Let's see what's going on. See if maybe we can find a workaround or, or something that, can, that you can do instead or something that can at least help you get over the hump of worrying about what's going on in this kind of weather. We got Frank and uh, Brandon getting ready to uh, 
come on and get lined up. Oh, I think we I think we're good to go. It's our first caller okay. of the uh, of the morning, Felder. Let's go over to Brandon. Hey, Frank, how are you this morning? Hey, Felder. Yeah. Uh, every winter, I plant lettuce and greens and spinach, and the lettuce yeah. and greens always do great. The spinach always does terrible. What am I doing wrong? Well, a, a couple of things. You may be doing everything right for lettuce, but not for spinach. Uh, you know, the spinach seeds, little hard balls they call spinach seeds, those aren't seeds. Those are those are seed balls. They're little balls of seeds. And and they take a little while to sprout. So what I would try doing is that when you get ready to plant next time, and you can do that even later this month in September, if you'll sow the seeds on some moist soil and then lay a board over them, something to cover them up and keep the ground cool and moist, and then just check it after a few days, and every few days check it, and then when they start to sprout, get rid of the, the board. And because sometimes just cool and moist is what it takes for these seeds to sprout. If you don't do that, it gets really, really hot, uh, or the or the wind or the sun can dry the soil out. So, so just try spreading the seeds out, seed balls kind of thin, not too close, and moist and and shade. Let's see if that doesn't work. They also like a little bit of lime. Uh, spinach is one of those unusual plants. You don't need this, but if you haven't put any any lime in your garden in a while, agriculture lime, it'll help your tomatoes and peppers and stuff like that. But spinach likes it too. Okay. I'll give that a try. Thank you. Okay, let's know how it works, man. And I know it's too hot right now to think about it, but it's just about time to start planting lettuce and seeds and stuff like that. They'll take the the weather in September and certainly by October. So don't wait till fall to plant fall crops. Right. All right. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for calling. Okay, let's slide on up Highway 25 all the way up to Tupelo. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Morning, Felder. Glad to hear your voice again. Thanks. What's up, man? Bought some three knockout rose bushes at the grocery store. You know, you get a deal, you got to take a deal. Two right. of them are a pretty coral and one's a yellow. And when I put the corals in some pots with potting soil and the yellow in the dirt, in some dirt with some potting soil, all of them bloomed and made these beautiful blooms right away, perfectly formed flowers. Yeah. Uh, those you know, came and went, and we enjoyed them, and then we were kind of dormant for a little while. Now they're, they're continuing to bloom, but none of the flowers are perfect anymore. They're just kind of these raggedy blooms. Yeah. And they really they really got going here after we had a shower, and we've had some rain this week. It's amazing what rainwater versus aged tap water does as far as making plants happy and, and, and you know that that's that's not just an observation i've noticed that myself and i really can't explain it except that rain a lot of times has got ozone in it okay which is a weird weird concept but anyway to keep going so the my question is why would those that first flush of blooms look perfect versus these kind of raggedy ones that have continued to come on through you know the, the last month yeah, it's, it's a good question, and I, I'm going to have to make an it, an educated guess here because I, I you know, I, I don't know the specifics, but the first lush of balloons was from was on growth that came from food already stored up in the twigs. Those that first little flush of stems, that was from energy already stored in the plant. Whereas after that, the new growth has come out. If it's weak because it's hot or it's dry or it's wet or there's radiated heat or anything that that causes the new growth to not be really good health is going to show up in the leaves and the flowers. 
So it could just be that first little growth was from good sturdy stems that were grown in perfect conditions, and now you got growth that's kind of suffering a little bit. So not much I can. That's an educated, but I think a pretty good guess. Two things you can do though, Mike. One is uh, when this flush finishes uh, this month, you can prune them back, and that'll sort of concentrate the energy to of what would have. What would have gone into what you cut off will, will go into what's left. It'll invigorate the plants. A little bit of fertilizer, not much. Uh, cutting them back a little bit, third or so, and then an occasional soaking without keeping them wet. And I bet the new growth that comes out in late in, in uh, September, October is going to bloom just fine. All right. Well, I'll try that and report back see what the results are. Educated guess, man, but I think I, I think that'll help. That's what I would do. Okay. Thanks for your help. You bet, Mike. Appreciate it. Bye. All right. I don't know it all, Java. I don't know it all. And there's things that I wish I didn't know, but there's a lot of stuff that messes me up when I try to think too much about stuff. So a lot of times it's best to say, I don't know. Okay, let's let's talk to Kristen. What's up, Kristen? Hi. I'm actually calling from Oxford. So a little oh, bit okay. um, a little bit up north. We moved Kristen? to Oxford four, four years ago. And um, I'm getting used to the climate here. We moved here from North Carolina. And I'm wondering when I should fertilize my hydrangeas and roses, and what do you, what product do you recommend for that? Okay, those are good questions. Uh, and, and, and even though I'm a horticulturist and I can make your eyes bleed with stupid detail about stuff, what I say in general is fertilize with a pretty good all-purpose flower and shrub fertilizer, not agriculture stuff like triple 13 or triple A, but use something that's got a good, slow, gentle, long-acting, any kind of flower and shrub fertilizer, uh, and do it sometime in the spring. And anybody who gets more specific than that is really just sort of twisting things into knots. So uh, the plants need a little nitrous and a little phosphorus, a little potash, which is those three numbers. So choose something that's got pretty close to the same, those three numbers, and sometime in the spring at the beginning of the growing season. If you haven't done it at all, it's not too late to give them a little shot this year, but let's get it done soon, uh, less than regular strength, because we're trying to help them put on a flush of growth and still have time to settle down before fall. So if you haven't fertilized at all this year, a little bit around each plant, less than what the recommended strength are of any good flower and shrub fertilizer, and then don't do anything else to them as far as fertilizer until late March, April, even May. It's not that big a deal. Okay, awesome. Now, after I put the fertilizer down, do I water immediately? I've actually never done this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. what you want to do is the fertilizer has to be dissolved, and it's not the fertilizer that feeds plants. It's the stuff that dissolves in the water off of it. So if it doesn't rain, go ahead and, and, and water it really good and maybe come back an hour or so later after some of it dissolved and hit it a second time to get that to wash that first flush down into the dirt. So, you know, after you fertilize, I'd water it a little bit to get the fertilizer kind of softened up and then come back and give it a good soaking and put it down around roots. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. You know, we're, we're talking about just spoon-feeding plants. And a good quality uh, fertilizer has got a slow-acting type of nitrogen. It feeds steadily over a long period of time instead of one great big, fast, furious flush like agriculture stuff does. That's the reason I recommend not using agriculture fertilizer. That nitrogen is fast, it's harsh, it's temporary. And the plants want them slow and easy over a long period of time. So yeah, put it down, wet it down pretty good, come back a little bit later, water it in really good, and you're done. And thank you so much. I have one more question. I heard the previous caller, he was talking about roses. 
Uh-huh. And he told him he could prune his roses now. How often do you suggest pruning roses in general during the year? Well, if we're talking about shrub roses, you know, the kind that just grow on bushes, hybrid teeth, yes. grandiflora, floribundas, those kind of things, typically they're pruned pretty hard in the wintertime, usually February is when, when rose people do it. They cut them down to, you know, a foot and a half, two feet tall. I mean, they really prune them hard in the wintertime. And then you can prune on them once or twice in the summer after they sort of finish a flush of, of blooming. Whatever grow, grew since spring, you can cut it a third or halfway back, and they'll bush out and bloom again. And you can do that uh, middle of the summer and again sometime towards the end of this month. That'll give time for the new growth to come out and flower before winter. So hard pruning in February, light pruning in the, the uh, uh, early and the late summer. And that's about if you want to. And that's all you do. That's perfect. Thank you so much for your help. Oh, I want to ask you something. What part of North Carolina did you come from? Well, we came from Cary, which is a suburb of Raleigh. We were there for 14 years, and we moved to Oxford in 2018. And we, we love it. It's home now. So, so, so you moved from the Research Triangle to the, uh, to the, to the center. We did. My husband and I both work at the university, so we're happy to be here. We're from Louisiana originally, so we're happy to be closer to home. I spent many. I used to visit the uh, J.C. Ralston uh, Botanical Garden uh, yes. there in Raleigh, but but also the wonderful little native plant garden. I forget the name of it. That's over. Uh, I forget the name of the little town. Anyway, they've got another cool little botanic garden that's all native plants and, and sculpture in the fall. But anyway, welcome. Thank you so much. I enjoy your show. Okay. Okay, appreciate it. Okay, now, I see where it says David in Broadway, North Carolina. Is that right? That's right. Hello. Okay, hey, David, what's up, man? I was just talking to somebody from North Carolina. This is crazy that we just talked to somebody else about this. I am about 50 miles south of Cary, maybe 30 miles south of Cary. It's yeah. not the triangle anymore, though. By the time you get down here, it is sandhill <laughs> country. It is, it is, it is. I'm I'm surrounded by tobacco in every direction. Oh yeah, uh, and I was thinking I was thinking of Chapel Hill, by the way, and that's on your side of Raleigh. That's right. And what I was going to tell you, it's so funny, is I had two things to tell you. First of all, I used to live in Fondren. I'm up here for the summer working with a church, and I still listen to you on my Echo every single. Friday, and Man. so I just want you to know I'm so glad to bring you with me. Um, Thank you. One of <laughs> one of the really cool things about being here in the Sandhills, it was funny to hear her say she's acclimating to the climate for the plants. What I've said is is being here so far. The folks that I'm the folks that I'm meeting and talking with, they're so impressed that I always know exactly what they're talking about because so many of the same things. That we grow in Mississippi, they've got up in this area. And just to me, I have just found so much joy in having those conversations in that community, even though I've been away from home. And on top of that, I was going to tell you the the botanical gardens, that's the native gardens, is the actual, it's the North Carolina Botanical Garden. That's right. That's that's the name of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of other ones. So North Carolina one just kind of settles, but it is amazing because you get to see all five key regions of yeah. the state, which you know, it's just such a different state. And it was so it it, it helped my homesickness. It really did. Um, to, yeah, and you know something that's really 
And something that's really interesting to me, I've, I've got really good horticulture friends all over North and South Carolina. Between where you are and going down to uh, to Columbia, South Carolina, that area between between you and Columbia, that is the same climate as most of Mississippi. So I, I know what you're saying, but <clears throat> there's a, you know, there, it's, it's so interesting because when people, my friends from North Carolina who are up in the mountains, they talk about the plants that will grow in the south, and some of the plants in, just north of you up in the mountains will not grow in Mississippi, even though they're in the south, because it's a different climate. People don't realize within the same state you have different climates. But anyway, so you 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 keeping it real, keeping it Mississippi over North Carolina. Right, right now for this part, I'm keeping it. It just reminds me so much of the state. But yeah, it doesn't take long to go in either direction to find yourself in a different place. It makes North Carolina cool, but but the yeah. part that I'm in right now is the, the best to me because it's as close as you can get to Mississippi. So man, you're making you're making everybody you're making people homesick who are still at home. <laughs> Well, I hope we all appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for calling and sharing, David. Hang in there. Thanks. Bye-bye. All righty. What you think, Java? Are we having a love fest here? That was cool, man. David, we really appreciate you, especially taking us along for the ride in North Carolina on the Echo. That was that's really that's really cool. But we have some more callers, Bill in the Shoba County, if you're ready. Ready for it. Let's go let's go to New Shoba County. Hey Bill, good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, love your program and uh, got a question for you about my pop offs. Okay. Okay. Uh, I got three trees they're all about six feet tall and every uh, summer about this time uh, the end of their limbs uh, die. It's like, it looks like looks like fire blight, but I don't think it is. They just die yeah. back. And how, how long have you had these trees? Uh, well, I've been here for seven years, and they kind of you know one one I bought right away, and one was a couple of years later, and one came yeah. up from seeds. So they're kind of well. Well, let me let me let me do some educated and experienced guessing. I was raised with pawpaws, and they grow all along the Pearl River. You know, all the, from Neshoba County, they grow up in Ohio, but they typically are found naturally in in uh, in river bottoms. You know, not mm-hmm. high and dry, not in hot dirt. And if your trees were were planted kind of deep, or they're planted in a really tight hole, or if they're staying wet part of the year and really dry part of the year. Their roots aren't adapted for that, so it sounds it sounds to me like that that they got a serious root problem. The other possible, in which case, you can loosen up the dirt out from the trunk, go out two or three feet, and just take a shovel. You don't have to dig it like you're planting tomatoes or something, but just sort of crack the dirt here and there to see if you can help the roots get outward faster, and then cover the air with some tree leaf mulch, regular tree leaves, which sort of decompose like you see in the woods. That's what feeds right. the roots naturally. That'll help the roots, but while you're at it, check and make sure the trunks have never been hit with a lawnmower or the string trimmer. That's the number one cause of symptoms like what you've got, so a string trimmer or lawnmower damage or root problems. It's going to be one of those things, not going to be a, a, a disease problem. I'm pretty sure with this. Okay. Uh, should I just go ahead and cut those dead parts off, or are they going yeah, to come back? Not- well, no, there's not much you can do. You know, uh, snap on it. If, if it snaps off easily, you know, then that part's dead and, and uh, cut back into some, some healthy, some flexible stuff. 
But again, check down at the at the bottom, and if they've got an old wound, you know, within a couple of three or four inches yeah. of, the, of the ground, there's no get there, there's no coming back from that. But if you don't see that prune the trees, you can actually prune these plants back to just bare stubs three feet tall, and they'll sprout back out. But I do that in the wintertime, not this time of year. So check check oh. the lower trunk, and then think about pruning them in the wintertime and loosen up the dirt around them. Help help the roots out. Okay, great. I can do that. Thank okay, you. Okay, good luck on you. Bet. And then, and if they ever make fruit, don't pick those pawpaws up and put them in your pocket because they get nasty and mushy like old bananas. And let's let's slide back to Jackson, Jason. Jason, how you doing this morning? Yes. Hey, Felder. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I just had a, a question that I've been wanting to call in about, and um, just wondering uh, generally um, what would be the optimal time of the day uh, to harvest various vegetation, you know, uh, herbs, fruits, yeah. vegetables. I know they're probably in the general across those <laughs> those yeah, that, uh, maybe for herbs. For instance, it might be in the morning when all the minerals are, are you know, uh, just uh, yeah. wondering what the optimal time would it, it's actually a good question, and there's a and, and the, the the easiest answer is in the morning when plants are the most hydrated, like tomatoes and peppers, <laughs> things like that. They have the most moisture. Okay. But on the other hand, if you're if you're talking about culinary herbs like oregano and basil and stuff like that, if they've got a lot of water in their leaves, their flavor is actually diluted a little bit. They seem to have more more yeah. of the oil concentrated if they're a little bit on the droughty side. But in general, morning is better. Uh, and then, you know, okay. put things out of the direct sun while they're still full of – it's not a nutrient thing. It's a moisture thing. Okay. And so, for instance, a tomato probably wouldn't transfer nutrients and whatever as much as an herb, you know, during the day, for instance. It's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's, it's not the nutrients. They don't move that fast. It's going to be moisture content yeah, yeah. in the fruit or in the leaves. And it's almost not that big a deal, but ideally it'd be better in the morning. Plus, it's easier on you. Exactly. <laughs> good, good question, though. Okay. Well, I sure appreciate it. All righty, man. Appreciate you calling, Jason. Right, thank thank you for being part of the program. Homie, um, I know that it's hot right now. Let me give a couple of quick suggestions for people who are trying to do the best by their gardens. First of all, if you have a lawn and you mow it, or if you pay someone else to mow it, make sure the lawnmower is set on its highest setting. This this is not my personal opinion. This is what turf management teaches. Grass is mowed high in the heat, uses less water, has a deeper root system, is more able to tolerate the stress. So if you're cutting close, that really stresses plants. Raise the mower up and... Um, if you're the type of person to fertilize your lawn, if you're thinking about winterizing, this is the month. We put out fertilizer for, for winter to get the grass ready for winter. So you want to put something out that's got a pretty good high potash number, we said that third number, a regular lawn winterizer. Or if you've got centipede or St. Augustine, just use a stuff called centipede food. It's got a low nitrogen, which is not going to push the grass too much. It's got plenty of potash, which is the actual winterizer nutrient. And it lasts for a couple of three years, so you don't have to do this every year. But anyway, fertilize your grass for the last time this month to get the grass time to use it, to put it to use, store it, and then slow down before winter. Don't push your grass by fertilizing. Now is the time to winterize um, and, and to mow high. 
if you're thinking about planting some more stuff for fall, this is the time to get started. You know, uh, down at Crystal Springs at the um, Truck Crop Experiment Station, they have a beautiful garden of fall vegetables uh, that they plant in August, first part of September. So this is the time. It, it's hot, so do this in the morning. If you can work the dirt up, put the seeds out, wet them down. If you can cover it up with some mulch to keep the ground from overheating and from drying out in the sun and the wind, uh, then that will help the seeds get sprouted better. But this is a good time to start thinking about and actually start planting fall things like uh, cabbage and broccoli and lettuce and carrots and beets and those kind of things. They do best in cool weather, but they grow better this time of year. So anyway, that's a couple of things you can do. If you've got potted plants that are looking kind of bad, they just look peaking. Uh, petunias, for example. Petunias do not like hot summer and humidity. They just don't. But if you cut them back a little bit, give them a little bit of fertilizer, and, and this applies to most potted plants, even lantana, salvias, uh, any of those kind of things. Cut them back a little bit and give them just a little bit of fertilizer. They'll put on a nice flush of growth that's going to outperform anything that they can do without it. And it invigorates plants. So uh, I wouldn't prune any shrubs really, really hard this time of year. I mean, if you want to neaten stuff up or thin them out, it's perfectly okay. But let's save our hard pruning for early in the year so plants have time to recover. So anyway, those are a few things that, that I'd recommend. If you have a lot of potted plants and you're watering a lot, keep in mind that that means fertilizer washes away. It leaches out. It dissolves and washes away. So uh, think about giving them a little bit of shot of fertilizer. Uh, what I do is I use a time-release stuff, this slow-release uh, beads. It's, it's called Osmocote. I, I don't sell stuff, but this is what I use. And commercial growers do, too. And little round beads of dry fertilizer, and when you water, it absorbs a little fertilizer and squeezes out a little uh, – excuse it absorbs water and squeezes out fertilizer, which washes in the soil, and it lasts for, for months. So one shot of Osmocote in the spring or a little bit of fertilizer this time of year really invigorate your plants. Felder, mm. I think sometimes um, uh, you're going to have to change this, um, like you say, this time of year, just talking about winterizing your lawn. Because, yeah. I mean, I hate to throw the phrase out there, but with climate change and things like that, it's like it gets it's hotter, longer, especially around here. We may have winters, all you know, that don't start until maybe yeah. December. Now, how does that affect the, the time clock that you are, I guess, currently running on. Like you said, now is the yeah. time to winterize, but, I mean, we may have a, a hot October or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really good question, too. And, and I'm not going to, like you say, hate to use words like climate change because it's local weather most people are worried about. And the local weather is changing. Uh, and matter of fact, we've noticed uh, certain plants that normally freeze every winter, they're, they're growing normally uh, 100 miles north. So, you know, th that's happening. Um, but in general, you know, and, and again, as a horticulturist, I want to get very precise about things. But as a as a r realist, uh, gardening is not precise. Weather is not precise. So in general, we want to fertilize things sometime in the spring and fertilize them late in the summer so they have time to settle on down before fall, whatever that means. You know, wintertime, you know, technically that's three months. But really, we're just talking about in cold weather. So it's it's a good question, but we we haven't we've had hard hard freezes the past couple of years, 
but not the light frost that we usually have. So anyway, things have changed a little bit. But so far, the general advice, and, and matter of fact, I catch criticism because I am so general. I mean, I can make people's ears bleed with technical plant physiology stuff and horticulture uh, esoterica. But I try to keep things general. So in general, fertilize stuff in the spring, maybe hit them again in the late summer, but don't wait till fall because if we have a, if we ever have a normal winter, the plant's going to be caught a little bit too green. So anyway, let's slide down to the Gulf Coast and talk with Tucker. Hey, Tucker, what's going on? Hey, Felder. I'm doing well. You doing all right? So far, so good. Good, good. I got one quick question. Um, I got a I got a, a southern red oak in my front yard. It's it's fairly big, and when I moved in, it has a little tree ring that looks like it comes up pretty pretty high up the trunk. And I'm I'm looking to get rid of that. I don't think that's healthy. And I'm thinking about trying to maybe kill the grass underneath the tree and try to plant maybe some azaleas or some small plants. Yeah. And I'm wondering if your your best advice on getting rid of the grass. I know some people use cardboard, or I don't know if you have any. Well, yeah, there, <laughs> you know. there, there's there's a couple of things. I'm assuming you have St. Augustine grass. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I'm not sure. Okay, just a mix of grass. Here's the thing. Uh, and, and by the way, this is way older gardens, older parts of town, older societies, and all botanic gardens do it. You never see grass growing under a tree in botanic gardens because it's, it just doesn't make sense from, from horticulture, plant physiology, or anything like that. What they do, though, is they make a distinct line. Here's where the grass grows up to, and here's where it stops. You know, it's like you draw a circle or an oval or a square or a straight line, and on the tree side, just get rid of the grass. So where the grass starts, instead of it petering out, it comes to an abrupt start, stop, and that looks like you're doing it on purpose. Uh, so, anyway, decide where you want the grass, where it's growing the best, and maybe a little bit further out from the tree. Uh, go ahead and make a distinct line. It could be with a shovel. It could be with a rope. It could be with bricks. It could be with Roundup. But make it where the grass stops along a distinct line. That immediately does two things. It makes it look better, and it it provides a place for your tree leaves to fall or to be raked or blown back to. So you got green grass brown mulch, and then you can start plugging in shade-loving stuff like monkey grass, lirio, uh, ivy, a few azaleas, you know, although the bigger shrub's going to have a hard time up under a tree because that, that that dirt is pretty well worn out. I think about more like ground covers uh, under the tree. But first thing to do, make a distinct line, and on the tree side, kill the grass. You can do that by laying cardboard on it. You can spray it with Roundup if you want to, which is not going to affect your tree. Uh, you can take a flamethrower to it but or, ta- or just scoop it off with a shovel. But once you do that, you're done for the day. That'll be enough. And then you go back out and look at it tomorrow. You go, oh, that looks nice. Then decide what you're going to plant under the tree. That this thing. And by the way, there's a, uh, there's a really cool trick that they use in, in uh, European gardens in Japan also, that ditch where the grass stops. They take a shovel and they cut straight down about three inches and then throw that dirt towards the tree. So you got a ditch that goes straight down on the grass side and slopes up towards the tree. That's called mm-hmm. a border edge. And it, it it's a little hard to do the first time unless it's moist out there. But man, oh, man, does it look neat and keep things nice and neat. It keeps the grass from growing back under the tree. Okay. That's a lot of words. A lot of words. 
Is that called a berm, or what is a? Uh, yeah, a, ber- a berm is like a, a like a, a low levee. Uh, a swale. If you, if you were to dig a ditch across the yard and throw the dirt just to one side, so you get the normal grass that goes dips down and back up. That's the the swale and the berm is sort of like the little levee. But uh, no, we're ta- we're talking about digging a a, a ditch. It's a, a border edge. Um, and I mean, and I take tons of pictures of this. It's just a crisp way to make the grass stop here. And then whatever's on the other side of that ditch, you can cover with leaves or whatever. You can drop your lawnmower uh, wheel down on the edge if you want to. Okay. Well, I appreciate your answer. Okay. And a berm is just a, a long, skinny pile of dirt. Okay. Okay. Good luck on it, man. I appreciate your call. All right. Take care. Thanks. All righty, folks. Let's slide back up to uh, all up to the north. Part. Let's go up to Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Steve. What's going on? Yes, sir. I've got some small arborvitae, arborvitae. Yeah. That I have mulched around. I bought some shrub and flower fertilizer, and it says to spread this, sprinkle it around as far out as the branches go, because they're so small. Because they're so small, the uh, if I spread it under the branches, I will be putting my fertilizer on top of the mulch. Is does yeah. that work? Yeah. Well, in general, what, what they're doing, they're just coming up with the simplest instructions they can come up with in the fewest words. In general, if you stick your arms straight out, wiggle your fingers, that's where roots are. And in a brand-new plant, it doesn't reach out very far. So what you're trying to do is put the fertilizer out where the, the, the shallow feeder roots are, not the big old shoulders and elbows up close to the trunk. So just if these are new plants, you know, closer to the plant. They're older plants, further out, but in general – out from the plants where roots are growing. If you got mulch, it's okay to throw fertilizer on top of the mulch, but it's good to take a, a rake and rake it in, or just pull the mulch back, throw a little fertilizer out, pull the mulch back on top, uh, rather than leave it on top, because it takes a while for fertilizer to dissolve and work its way into the dirt. If you can put it in contact with the dirt to begin with, roots can get it that much faster. But in, in general, okay. it's more of a concept. Just fertilizer out where you think the roots are. And if you dug the hole yourself, you know how far that out that is. Okay. That help? Very helpful. Yes, sir. Thank you very All right. much. You bet. Appreciate it. All righty. Some, some good questions today. I'm having to put on my thinking caps. And, and by the way, folks, I don't think like a horticulturist anymore. I can if I have to. Java, I posted a uh, – I usually don't, don't do this, but on the Mississippi Facebook page, I posted an old comic strip from – I'm, from before you were ever born, it was an old strip called Snuffy Smith. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No, I never heard of that one. Yeah, that's before okay. my time. Well, it was a, you know sort of like a Dagwood and Blondie type thing, except this is set in in the in in, in the mountains. It's sort of a, what, what, making fun of Appalachian Americans, you know, hillbillies, and it's just you know Snuffy Smith was an old drinking lazy guy, but and all the stuff that went on. Anyway, his wife was named Aunt Louise. And I've got this this uh, this cartoon that shows Aunt Louise uh, standing over some shrubs with her neighbor uh, named Elvini. She said, what's your favorite flower, Elvini? And Elvini said, oh, that's easy. Whatever survives my lack of gardening skill is my favorite flower. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they, they had to stop running this thing because a lot of folks, it's a little bit too close to home. But, uh, well, anyway, you got to be able to poke fun. Well, you know, but uh, as you know, some people don't have as much sense of humor as they used to. 
<laughs> anyway, let's slide up to, to Oxford and see what Kristen's up to. Kristen, you calling back. What you got going on, lady? I bought some wildflowers. I was wondering when the best time of year to plant. Okay, well, it depends on what kind of wildflower. A lot of the, the wildflowers we see in the springtime, like black-eyed Susans and Coreopsis and even the non-native ones like Queen Anne's Lace and all, they grow better over the winter and bloom in the spring, set the season, and then they die in the summertime. So a whole lot of the, the, the wildflower meadow type things, you plant them in, oh, sometime in September, first part of October. Uh, and by the way, there's some regular garden flowers like larkspur and pansies and violas and things like that. They need cold weather to bloom right the next spring. Uh, so that's assuming that it's those kind of wildflowers. But the word wildflower also means summer perennials and all that. So I'd have to really know what kind it is. If you want to, uh, either shoot me an email or go to fellowrushing.blog or go on the, the – the, Bite the bullet and go on the Mississippi Gardening Facebook page and post questions there because we have people who, you know, you can post pictures or lists, and we've got real people who really garden on that, and we can help with the specific. In general, spring wildflower seeds are sown in the fall. All right, Felder, we got one more call, um, Roger in Florence. we got about a minute and a half. Okay, Roger, what's going on, man? I've always wanted uh, weeping willows. Got a chance to plant some. Went by a house on a main street on a subdivision. They got weeping willow branches just weeping over onto the sidewalk. So on yeah. the sidewalk, I cut about four or five, uh, three or four foot uh, branches. And yeah. We stuck them in sand and, and regular, just some some uh, styrofoam cups with holes in the bottom. Right. So planted them in there, just stuck them in, watered them. And uh, now I'm ready to plant them. And they, yeah. They survived. They, they bloomed. I mean, they branched out with leaves. So I put one in the ground, dug a big old hole three feet across, you know, about a foot, well, eight inches deep. Made it real good with the dirt. Got it ready. And then I got my styrofoam cup and tried to <coughs> invert it. Okay. The thing in it. Okay. I think I broke all the little little roots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're running out of time, but in general, uh, it's better to do shorter cutting. So you can cut the ones that you got, cut them back, and 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 put them in some water or something, and let them reroot, and then let's plant them in the fall, a little bit early to set them out. So so cut them back to a foot or so long. Trust me on this, and then try to get them to reroot, and then put them in a bigger pot and plant them in the fall. I think that's the best approach. Um, anyway, sorry, we're out of time. Can't really develop that much more. But again, if you want to shoot me an email, felderrushing.blog. Got some fun stuff on there. It's, uh, it's no, not much how-to. It's just me having fun, which is what we do here every week on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We have the serious stuff about medical matters or, or health or, 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 or business, whatever. When it comes to gardening and food, we want to enjoy what we do. And uh, I'm suggesting during this hot weekend... Take a kid to a farmer's market or a garden center. Take yourself to a farmer's market or a garden center. See what they got going on. It's not a fun time of year to be out, but it's a good time to meet people who do stuff for a living. And if you get a chance, show neighbors and kids how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. See you all next week. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.